My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. Like, oh, here we go, Mark. Off again with your... Mark being Mark again. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's the thing about podcasts is when you're on the air, it's like therapy, you know? If I can't talk to my family about this stuff, I'll talk to you, Matt, and all our listeners. Yeah. So who are we talking about today, Matt? Today's journey is a Zeppelin ride away and out of reach to anyone without a dirigible of sufficient durability and ample fuel. Our destination can only be reached in a flight concluded with a strict downward descent into a chasm of crust, taking us into one of man's remaining final earthly frontiers, the many cavernous realms of our hollow earth. A journey last embarked on by a U.S. military contingency led by Admiral Byrd under Operation High Jump. Here to guide us through this German breakaway civilization and all its implications is Ryder Lee, host of Raised by Giants, a podcast about this and many other things. And this podcast certainly didn't stay within the said guidelines. We discussed Roswell. We discussed alien contact. All here on the My Family Think Some Crazy podcast with yours truly, Mystic Mark, featuring today's guest, Ryder Lee. Thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode. It's an incredible thing. You can Google Project Paperclip. And in that, another part of it was an exchange of humans for the programs that guy and, you know, I just discussed. I mean, we didn't have a lot of the, the three-letter agencies before Project Paperclip. We didn't have NASA or the CIA. And NASA was formed by the, the head of the Nazi aerospace uh, program in Germany, Werner von Braun, right? Like the head of the CIA was also a, a Nazi officer. All these things were, were created after we brought those Nazis in and signed that contract with the Germans to infiltrate into high levels of power in the United States. And that's how they won the war, right? We won the war on paper, but they actually won the war for real, right? And after that, we got all the three-letter agencies. That's when the MK Ultra uh, mind control stuff started happening, the psychological operations, the bending of truth and the deception really started happening then. And it's apparent, right? If you just track this stuff back, you can see this downward spiral, spiral after World War II. My name is Ryder Lee. Uh, I started my show around two years ago, Raised by Giants, because I, I knew something had to be done about the uh, the problem on the planet. And 
I believe that it was not only a, uh, a physical problem and with a lot of corruption and all the things that's going on in the physical world, but I also believe that it was a huge spiritual problem that we had on the planet too. Everyone is disconnected from everyone, you know, from themselves and in turn each other. And at the end of uh, 2019, I was uh, going to write a book about uh, all the ways that we've been mind controlled and manipulated. I was going to go through, you know, every facet of society of this uh, top-down system that we seem to be living in. And uh, a lot of the things that I wrote about in 2019, at the end of 2019, is happening today. And I decided that I needed to do something more in whenever 2020 happened with the virus and stuff because who really reads books anymore? You know, definitely this generation of people coming up don't read books anymore. So, you know, they don't really even know how to read and probably never picked up a book in their life. So I decided to start the uh, YouTube channel Raised by Giants to talk about all the topics that I was interested in and to get to the bottom of things here uh, with other people and other guests that I thought are very credible in the field and that people could learn from. And in turn, I learned something from and I've learned a lot about a lot of different topics and I've been able to keep a open mind and the willingness to change my thoughts and ideas and beliefs when presented with new information, which I think is very important aspect that, that many people can't seem to do for some reason, but we are getting there. <laughs> I hear you, man. Yeah. And bravo. I think more people ought to get up and Share their truth, whatever that truth may be, you know, and I want to ask you, is there a theme? Because I'll tell you what, when I first heard the name of the podcast, my, you know, I judged a book by its cover. I'm assuming maybe you're talking about Nephilim, maybe you're tracking down giants and things like this. Have you talked about this subject? Do you have a, a, a through line or is it really just, you know, all, all encompassing what you're interested in? Well, the title really came for a different, a couple of different reasons. I, I used to be in, I originally wanted it to be the name of uh, my band because I was, I've always been a musician. I've always played, you know, instruments and I was a vocalist in a metal band growing up. And I had that name in my mind for a really long time and I always liked it. And the more that I started growing spiritually and developing and figuring things out about my life, I realized what the name really meant to me. And it kind of comes from a, diff a few different angles whenever, you know, I was growing up, like I'm really tall. First off, I'm 6'4", I'm and uh, my whole family is tall. They're all taller than me, you know, so it kind of made logical sense to call it Raised by Giants because I think that I was quite literally raised by giants. My dad is 6'6", uh, six, six, and his brothers are all taller than him. And, uh, you know, that's kind of why I I stood, you know, started that name and created that, that name. And then growing up, uh, my father would tell me about his uh, experiences uh, with extraterrestrials he you know claimed to see multiple extraterrestrial sightings and and ufos and i kind of came to the conclusion of well, why would these beings be, you know, visiting my dad? And he didn't tell me this until I was much older, until I was like uh, 18, 19 years old, that he, he had told me about a few of his sightings that he had saw UFOs and crafts whenever he was younger. But he never told me about the, the really big one that happened to him whenever he was really younger, that he saw these uh, three beings on the roof of his porch right outside of his window whenever he was really young. And uh, one was sitting down. They were all three in suits. 
And there were one was sitting down in the middle and the other two were on each side of him. The guy's sitting down in the middle and my mind started, you know, cause I was in my awakening process at that point, which I'd had multiple awakenings through my life. But then I started kind of getting into the ET aspect. I was more into the paranormal and the corruption kind of uh, way. Like I've, most people normally awaken, you know, they awaken first to the corruption and then the other things kind of uh, come later on. And then I started at that time, I was really getting into the ET aspect of this whole phenomenon. Cause I believe it's all interconnected. It's all connected in ways that we have absolutely no idea. And that's a big reason why I'm trying to connect all the dots on my show and, you know, do the interviews and then do uh, my own individual monologues on there as well from the things that I think are going on. And whenever he's explaining this to me, I'm trying to, you know, think, you know, what what's the reason that they would, you know, be contacting him or maybe not so much contacting him, but revealing themselves to him. And I grew up in a uh, really, really small town, really close to a military base during World War II. And I'm, you know, starting to kind of put all these pieces together. And my conclusion was that they were doing some kind of genetic manipulation on my dad's side of the family and was maybe messing with his DNA on some kind of level. And, you know, it also made sense, you know, call it raised by giants because, you know, it, it could be something to do with uh, some kind of Nephilim DNA that they were inserting into my dad's side of the family that automatically made all of us tall, you know, because it was, it's a really weird phenomenon that it's only my dad, it's me, his brothers and their sons that are extraordinarily tall. Nobody else on um, that side of the family before my grandpa had his uh, three sons were tall. They were all average height. So whenever I was putting all that together, I'm like, okay, well, this can be a possibility. So that's really where the name raised by giants kind of came from. And I don't really have a through line. I want to get some people on to talk kind of talk about it in the elongated skulls and the giants and stuff like that but no it's and thanks for asking that question i don't think anyone has ever asked me the question why i why it's named raised by giants so i'm glad i could explain that yeah and hey you didn't you, there's no way you could know this because we're just sitting in chairs but i happen to be six eight so this whole thing you're talking about is right up my alley me and my dad are very tall the rest of my family is not tall at all my grandfather is about average height and I, I don't know if my father's ever had a ufo sighting he probably wouldn't tell me if he did because you know my family thinks i'm crazy it sounds like your family thinks you're pretty sane I, am i wrong do they kind of encourage your interest in this or are they like oh you know rider to you know forget about that stuff yeah your dad saw ufos but that's all just you know in the past they are very open uh, to it. My dad has always been open to it. Me and him used to go and do paranormal investigations all the time. He's the one that kind of got me into a lot of the things that, that I'm into right now. So he he's very supportive and my grandma as well. She listens to all my shows. So uh, I'm very grateful for the support that, that I get from them for sure. I, it's That's awesome. Unique. Yeah. That's awesome. I don't know if my grandma listens, but shout out to your grandma, wherever she is, <laughs> if she hears this. Hi. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. She's probably one of a few in that generation listening to podcasts. So she's a real trailblazer. I don't know. But- oh, yeah, she absolutely is. She's uh, she's she's in, uh, she's like 80, 84, 85, and she's, she's listening to it. So, yeah, shout out to grandma. Thank you. <laughs> right on. So you've talked to some very amazing guests, and 
I definitely, you know, there's some symmetry in the topics we've discussed, but I noticed that there seems to be a focus on the stars, and that's appropriate because you have stars behind you, and, and you know, given your story, it makes sense. But I recently had a very curious conversation with a gentleman about the secret space program, and this is... Mm sort of a contentious topic. Some people are all for it. Some people are like, oh no, those are just hoaxers. Some people say, well, it's more complicated than one or the other. What are your thoughts on the secret space program? And what have you learned over the years about this, this idea or this, you know, truth of, you know, what's going on above our heads at the military? Oh, that is a loaded question, my friend. And I was kind of like other people in the in the very beginning. I was kind of like, okay, what's going on here? You know, there, there's something more happening that you know. It, it's a very difficult difficult topic to really get into, and it takes a lot of because it branches off in a bunch of different directions. And, and again, it's all connected. And I brought on some of my very first people that I brought on my show were uh, you know connected to the secret space program, Eliana, the Star Traveler, Penny Bradley, David Lotherington. And, and and others and you know i didn't really really know what was going on you know i was like okay well what's going on with these people are are they just imagining this what's happening and then i've kind of tumbled over a bunch of different scenarios and things in my mind like first off i was like okay well if this is happening how come we know the the you know majority of the population knows absolutely nothing about it and then i'm like okay well maybe it has something to do with alternate realities alternate dimensions you know wormholes because there is some there's a lot of things that we can verify that these SSP assets talk about, you know, which is the the MK Ultra mind fracturing, the Montauk project, you know, Stargate project. All these are identifiable real projects that happen. So I'm trying to figure this out. I'm like, okay, well, a lot of these people talk about the Montauk project. They're put into a chair. They are. They have these electrodes on them. A wormhole opens up in front of them, like a portal or something, and then they travel through the portal and they can go to different realities and different dimensions. And within that mind fracturing that that they've went through, I was starting to believe. Well, if they can fracture the mind, like in the, the MK Ultra, we know it's a very real thing. They fracture the mind through torture and trauma and rape and molestation and. So if they can fracture the mind, they can split that part of the consciousness within the same consciousness. So they can compartmentalize the brain, right? And they can have all these different rooms, these rooms and different compartmentalizations within the same consciousness. So whenever they stick people in the Montauk chair, they can separate the fractalized consciousness and throw that consciousness through the portal and have that separate consciousness that's been fractalized go and live a 20 years in some different reality or some alternate reality or some alternate dimension. And I know this is sounding, you know, kind of wild and crazy, but it was, a, I think that it's a plausible explanation because a lot of the things that not so much the secret space program people talk about, but the super soldier people talk about is really unbelievable and really fantastical, right? So I'm like, well, if it's true and it's actually happening, there's not any way they could possibly be happening in this in this reality it has to be happening someplace else and then like because we know time dial how time dilation works right like within a portal within a fabric of space time it could be 10 minutes here but it could be you know 20 years or 40 years or 60 years someplace else and it, and it only feels like it's 
a minute or two minutes here. So that was my one of my first theories about how it was kind of going on. And then I started evolving that more because there is some people in the uh, community like uh, Tony Rod Riggs, uh, Penny Bradley, that a lot of their experiences have been 100% physical happening in this physical reality. And then I started, you know, thinking, okay, well, I'm connecting all these dots. I'm like, okay, well, you know, why are all of these three-letter agencies and intelligence community involved with disclosure? You know, how, how are we listening to CIA counterintelligence people to give us disclosure, right? The ones that's been covering this stuff up for 70 years since Roswell. We're now supposed to listen to them to give us the truth about aliens and UFOs. And I'm raking that through my mind. I'm like, that doesn't make any logical sense. So this is kind of what I've figured out about the the phenomenon and, and that there's a huge deception going on with, with the, the government governmental disclosure. And the, the story really starts during world war two. The Germans had very advanced technology since world war two. And the break, breakaway German faction that had this advanced technology fled to Antarctica with their advanced craft and technology after the war in 1945. Then Richard E. Byrd went with his naval fleet, which Richard E. Byrd is the naval general, in 1947 to Antarctica to try and track them down. And the Germans demolished them with their highly advanced technology. And not soon after that, uh, a craft flew uh, a bunch of craft flew over the white house and there's tons of pictures of craft over the white house in 1952 it was known as the washington flap uh for anyone that's interested i don't know if you've uh, researched that at all mark but also in 1947 we we had the roswell crash which was just one it wasn't just one craft that crashed there were multiple uh, craft that crashed in new mexico new mexico at the same time and what happened was is I believe anyway, and a lot of other people that I've talked to on my show also believe that it was America that downed those craft on purpose because they thought it was the Germans, right? And they were trying to get back at the Germans for destroying them in Antarctica. And so they developed these directed energy weapons to actually shoot them out of the sky. And when they shot these craft out of the sky in Roswell, New Mexico, they found out that they were actual ETs. But <clears throat> the problem was is they couldn't figure out the craft, right? They couldn't do anything with the craft because it was controlled and piloted by the occupant's mind and consciousness. And they were really at their ends wits with trying to figure out how it worked. And that's when they brought in, you know, amateur scientists and all these people like Bob Lazar. And that's where his story really comes into play in the new stable element. He talks about the secret to anti-gravity. And I think that they were 100% desperate with trying to figure out how it worked because if they couldn't figure out how it worked, they would have to sign some kind of treaty with the ones that could, and they didn't want to be outmanned and outgunned by the Germans in Antarctica. So they were uh, bringing anyone in to try and figure it out because, again, if they couldn't figure it out, then they would have to make a contract with the ones that could. And, you know, we, we're all familiar with the concept and the theory that we signed a uh, contract with ETs, you know, that Eisenhower signed a, uh, a contract with uh, the gray ETs to trade humans for their technology. But the, the whole kicker is, is 
and the deception is is that it wasn't ETs, right? It was the Germans in Antarctica, and the contract was a trade for humans for their uh, secret space program, mm. and they, they would and you know to create and develop their their secret space program, and we and they would give us some of their technology so that's a that's a really huge deception that people aren't really realizing and it only makes you know logical sense that if we needed the technology and we had the craft right we had the craft from actual ets but we couldn't figure it out we'd have to make a deal with the ones that could and saying it was a contract with ets is way more explainable because you don't have to really explain it you can just make things up and then saying we signed a contract with germans that everyone thought was defeated and they weren't around anymore way too much explaining to do with that and it would mean taking responsibility and we know that they aren't going to do that so they made it extraordinary and said it was ets well and then even so Covering their tracks in Antarctica, we hear this big grand story of the hollow earth. I don't know whether or not you're saying this is true or not, but it sounds to me like, based on what you just said, that something altogether different happened in Antarctica than Admiral Byrd flying into the center of the earth and seeing giant trees and animals and all these people. Sounds to me like the Nazis had, you know, established their fourth reich in another part of the world and were taking strategic arms strategic you know moves against the united states government we have that granada treaty that eisenhower supposedly signed with gray aliens i mean who knows if the nazis technology was sufficiently advanced it would have appeared like magic right that's the old saying so it could have been that they just hologrammed the vision of ETs. I mean, Crowley was in Germany a lot. He drew up that Lom picture, and curiously, the gray aliens kind of look like that same picture. But wow, yeah, a lot of a lot of angles we can take on what you just said, Ryder. But let's start with the Admiral Byrd. Do you think that that Hollow Earth story was to divert attention from the Fourth Reich? Well, the the way that I think that it kind of went is he traveled to, he was an explorer first before he was an admiral of the Navy and he was an explorer. So he, he explored all around the world. And it is very possible that he could have went to Antarctica and went into the, the hollow earth. I mean, they're definitely hiding something more than just the, the Germans in Antarctica. There is uh, highly advanced, sophisticated mind control technology there. Eric Hecker has talked about this, the ice cube neutrino detector, which is used for, you know, mind control. It's a, basically a mind control device that puts out very harmful frequencies that can affect people from across the planet, depending on what level of a frequency that, that you have it on. There's a lot of things that are happening in Antarctica, but I think that it is plausible that he could have went there on, on his own before. And then that's why the United States government sent him again, because he had already been there and they had found out information that this is where the leftover remnant, remnants of the, the Nazi the Nazi party went. It was to Antarctica to kind of uh, hide. So they went after them to try and take them out. And little did they know that they had, uh, well, I mean, we did know that they had highly advanced 
technology. We just thought that we we kind of defeated them. And, you know, that that really wasn't the case. And when we got there, they basically, you know, destroyed the entire uh, naval fleet. I, I believe that only a certain amount of people actually got away and made it out alive. And that was like their show of power and, and what they could do. And what what we did to cover up was, you know, to explain it away like it's, you know, aliens and a part of the contract that we had to uh, sign with them was the, the infiltration of Germans into high levels of power in the United States. You know, that's a very, uh, that's a credible thing. You can Google Project Paperclip. And and that, another part of it was an exchange of humans for the programs. Like I, you know, I just discussed, I mean, we didn't have a lot of the, the three-letter agencies before Project Paperclip. We didn't have NASA or the CIA. Uh, NASA was formed by the, the head of the Nazi aerospace uh, program in Germany, Werner von Braun. Right, like the head of the CIA was also a, a Nazi officer. All these things were were created after we brought those Nazis in and signed that contract with the Germans to infiltrate into high levels of power in the United States, and that's how they won the war. Right, we won the war on paper, but they actually won the war for real right and after that we got all the three-letter agencies that's when the mk ultra uh, mind control stuff started happening the psychological operations the bending of truth and the deception really started happening then and it's apparent right if you just track this stuff back you can see the, this downward spiral spiral after world war ii and that's when people started experiencing abductions cattle mutilations and stuff and they had to cover it up, right? They they couldn't come out and say that this is a this is a human group, right? They had to blame it on ETs or extraterrestrials, right? When it's really the humans and the Germans from Antarctica collecting the, on their contract. And uh, I don't know if you've I'm sure you've heard people in the community talk about the the my the my lab abductions the military abductions right and that's what all this has been it's all been our military that's been abducting these people and that's why a lot of the my lab abductees always claim to see german flags and german symbols during their abduction or german officers and this is the huge deception in the huge elephant in the room that absolutely no one is talking about and you brought up the brought up earlier about the that they could be using some kind of holographic technology to project some kind of aliens and that's very highly plausible or some things like uh, Stephen Greer talking about how they just straight up dressed up like ETs and abducted these people in their advanced craft I think it's a combination of both and then you also have the mind control aspect of where they, they can abduct you and then plant memories into your head that you saw aliens when it wasn't aliens it was the military it was either our military or the german military or different militaries across the planet right wow yeah and it, it, when you put it in that context it certainly becomes very sinister and given what we know about what was going on in those you know holocaust camps and nazi experimental camps it's not far-fetched to make the connection, you know, especially when you hear things like probing and dissections and even cattle mutilations, you know. Uh, I was just speaking with a gentleman who I 
highly recommend you get in touch with if you haven't already. His name is Chaz. He goes by Chaz of the Dead. And he's written a whole book exploring South America and the UFO phenomena and the Nazi connection. We were talking yesterday, so this is all fresh on my mind. But Good. yeah, so he but what he was saying was like this like UFO a sighting that is very frequent in Brazil. It's a very particular type of UFO sighting where these UFOs will be chasing people, shooting them with some sort of laser beam or electricity. And I just because this show, it's not the same podcast we're doing here. It's a different podcast. And I was like, that sounds like something Nazis would do, you know, like just torturing <laughs> Brazilian people for no reason. Just to like, oh, yes, zap them, zap them, you know, like testing their little like weird cannons and stuff. So I, it's just South America is an enigma. And the fact that it's that close to Antarctica, the fact that it's basically underneath the United States, it, it just seems like if I were... A German that would be the strategy I would take to get back at the United States but I don't know if it's even that simple you know like you're saying with this my lab thing where they're like planting these images like it's so much more complicated than just like one group versus another like this seems like a battle that's been going on for thousands of years you know Absolutely. It has been happening for a really long time. But I just say since World War II to help people to try and, right. and wrap their head around it, you know, because if you start going back way, way farther, then it becomes uh, something that people, it's hard for people to comprehend. But I can say for a fact that it has been happening mm -hmm. since World War II and it's been an unseen war. It's been, you know, something that's been right in front of our face, but we haven't been able to put two and two together. And this is why the craft that has been seen in the the mid 50s and, and the late 60s you know starting uh, all the way up into the 90s were all disc-shaped tin can looking crafts right that's how it really started was these these flying saucers right and that's because that was the technology that we were working with and that the Germans were working with. And that's the ones that they had developed, you know, the bell technology, there's 100% that's 100% factual. They had, that was a part of their craft. The bell was a part of the engine of the disc of the, the craft. And it was, it, it had a really large amount of radiation coming off of it and they couldn't figure out how to get rid of the radiation so whenever people that's why you hear the stories of the the people that after we you know won the war in germany they would go around this crowd the, the bell technology and they would you know get high amounts of radiation poisoning they would some of them would die on the spot whenever they activated it and turned it on but that was that was part of their early technology and the the germans knew that whenever they that they were basically just sacrificing people in these early iterations of this anti-gravity craft because the radiation was too powerful and they were just killing people being inside of these craft. So later, as time went on, they, they and technology developed, we got more advanced with it and we were able to mitigate the, the, the radiation that was coming off of the, the anti-gravity portion of the craft. And now we have all of these exotic craft and, and people are seeing, you know, lights in the sky and, and plasma craft morphine and cloaking tech and interdimensional drives that's because that's the way that the technology advanced 
you know, and <clears throat> you brought up a really good point that, because I believe that there is uh, some kind of silver lining here. And I believe that we did in fact sign this contract with the Germans. It wasn't ETs and but whether it was or wasn't, it, it doesn't matter. It still happened, right? But I think that the goal of the U.S. was to really gain this technology and play nice for a while, but secretly be planning to kind of, you know, turn the tides at some point in the future. And this is, you know, what I really think is going on. And I, I believe that that's exactly what we're experiencing now, whether that's a war between two factions or there's more factions, because there's always, there's always more happening, you know, things just don't happen for one singular you know reason but this has been the basis for what's happening right now it's all been about the technology and the downfall that we're experiencing right now has been about them not releasing the technology they would have released the technology when they had it right off the bat, right off the get-go, then we wouldn't be experiencing a lot of the things that we're experiencing right now. Mm. Right? Because it would have been able to open so many other doors, but it came from greedy human beings not wanting to release the technology because money was involved and they already had their stocks and all their money invested in, you know, <clears throat> power lines and coal plants and all this stuff that they couldn't make the transition to any of this new and free technology, right? They had their money invested in the, the medical system so far that they've made a business off of it. We know that the, the medical system is all there to poison you and, and not actually heal you. But if they would have released the technology, they would have had uh, free energy devices. They would have had free med beds that, that people can actually heal from and heal from their ailments and their diseases and everything. And that's not what they wanted. They wanted us dead, right? They don't want to heal us. Right now they and it all came from humans and people like to mystify this shit, Mark. They like to make it about some kind of thing that that's completely out of their control. Mm. When it's been humans this entire time that's been doing it to us. It's been the humans that's been controlling our reality. It's been the humans that's behind the UFO phenomenon. It's the humans that are behind all the control systems and, and structures that we've implemented in the societal stigmas that we have to go through. The indoctrination, it's all been humans it's not ets it's not some mystical boogeyman it's not the reptilians it's not the archons it's us mm. and that's what i've really been trying to get in the people's heads about it that it's not some crazy unseen force these people are real they're tangible they're physical and they always leave a paper trail wow yeah and Again, I'm going to throw another name at you, and maybe you're more familiar with this guy. He's a little more, more notable and been around longer. Walter Bosley and his research into the Sonora Aero Club. Are you familiar with any of those terms? I've, I've heard of the Sonora Aero Club, but I'm not familiar with it. Walter? The yeah, so well. I'm going to share my screen real quick, and please excuse the motorcycle sounds. I recently <laughs> moved next to a busy road and still making adjustments, but... Yeah, here we are with this illustration drawn by Charles Delshaw. And the reason I bring this up, the reason why it connects, Ryder, and I'm glad you, you're unfamiliar because it gives me a chance to let you take a break and I'll talk a little bit now. We have, we have 
this Sonora Aero Club, which was primarily composed of German-American immigrants, right? People who were living in America who emigrated from Germany. And this is around the Civil War period when they're creating these flying machines in the Southwest. So here's an illustration. We have another illustration as well. This is a little more colorful, but you get the idea, the concept they were trying to play around with. And that's strange. I just noticed my birthday up there, October 11th. I never saw that before. But yeah, these are just very odd sort of, you wouldn't imagine that they're made in the 1930s and 40s, but these are some illustrations and apparently it goes back as far as the 1800s, right? Like this technology of dirigibles and flying, you know, crafts of all variety were being innovated in the United States by Germans. And then, you know, curiously enough, we have this Roswell situation. We have all these, you know, crafts that, as you're saying, could be flown by Germans. I think there's a connection there. It's, it's not my wheelhouse, you know, it's Walter's research, so I won't say much further, but I definitely recommend you, you check out his work. I'll, I'll send you his, his website after we're done here. But yeah, Walter Bosley's theory is that there's a breakaway civilization of Germans who created this, you know, flying technology before anyone else. And, you know, my theory is that these groups that we call like this country, this nation, those are just fronts. Those are just fronts for the elite that are operating the real strings. And, you know, they're using all elements of different societies to craft their grand plan, you know, like the Germans bringing it home to closer to where I'm from. I'm from Connecticut and you know, there's a very, you know, well-known, notorious group, Skull and Bones, with a German origin. The founders of Skull and Bones went to Germany, learned from Hegel and all these other people at the University of Berlin about these sort of fascist, you know, very Prussian militaristic ideas of what society should be like and how the state should rule. And we have what in the Nazis, a fascist group who thinks that the state should be above all, you know, it's, it seems to rhyme and, and there are no coincidences, you know, so. Absolutely. And this also, uh, I'm glad you brought that up because I, whenever you were talking about it, I actually do remember it. Penny Bradley has talked, uh, and I just had her recently on my show. She was part of the German uh, space program, uh, Knock Lofton, out of Antarctica, the breakaway German faction. And she talks about that. Uh, in that interview, she talks about how the back in the late 1800s, they were, and even before that, I, I can't remember the exact date, so don't quote me. But back hundreds of years ago, they were actually, there was a group of uh, people that were cr trying to create these these crafts you know and this also really ties into all kinds of different facets right it ties into with the, the jfk assassination right because jfk had connections in his early 20s with the secretary of the navy after world war ii james forrestal right and he kind of james forrestal kind of took jfk under his wing 
And they went to, he took JFK and they traveled to Germany together after the war to see the the famous Bell UFO craft that the German aerospace techs that I was mentioning earlier were working on. And after they came back, JFK ran for Senate and Forrestal became the Secretary of Defense, the very first Secretary of Defense. And MJ-12 was born. I don't know, I'm sure you've heard of MJ-12, which is, you know, Majestic 12, the, you know, James Forrestal being one of the first members of Majestic 12, the group of men overseeing the UFO and saucer technology here in the United States and developing the American SSP program, solar, the, the naval program. JFK definitely knew about what we were developing and what we had because he has seen some of the technology in Germany. So he was actually trying to force their hand of the cabal to reveal their advanced technology, their anti-gravity craft, you know, and everything by, you know, saying that we're going to the moon by the, the late 60s, knowing damn well, Mark, that we couldn't get to the moon with standard rocketry. All the standard rocketry can do is go around the atmosphere of the earth. And you had Werner von Braun just uh, like, uh, I think like six months before JFK made his announcement that we should direct our attention to getting to the moon by uh, the late 60s. Werner von Braun, the Nazi aerospace tech brought over from Project Paperclip, which was the head of NASA, said that it would take a, uh, a rocket the size of the Empire State Building to actually get to the moon. And JFK gave that speech to Congress about going to the moon in 1961, saying the U.S. should you know, commit itself to landing astronauts on the moon within the decade. And then to the public again, I believe at Rice Stadium, September of 1962, that, that we should you know, to the public that we should be, you know, focusing our attention on getting to the moon by the late 60s. And JFK was trying to force them to reveal their technology, but instead, they just faked the footage and went in their secret anti-gravity craft that they had been developing from the people that they brought over from uh, Germany to create their secret space program so, and naval secret space program. Let me ask you this, because I feel like there's a really interesting plot developing here and I don't want to brush over it. So are you suggesting that, because at first I was... It, thinking something entirely different but now i feel like there's a plot twist so let me elaborate so jfk has this friend forrestal he's in the know somehow at first i'm thinking is maybe he's being suggested these ideas in order to be pushed into a certain way but it sounds almost like you're you're to clarify you're saying more that he was playing like 5d chess like like by pushing us to go to the moon it would be showing the hand that he you know obviously couldn't just come out and talk about even though he did give that speech about the monolithic secret society that mm -hmm. is in control of everything and has been for a long time so wow man this is this is epic i mean people know that the, the conspiracy theorists starts with jfk that whole term starts with jfk so Anytime you put his name out there, it just, everybody's getting a little wet. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And that's what, you know, the conspiracy, you're completely right, that the term conspiracy theorist came from the assassination of JFK. And the the other weird part about it, yeah, he was trying to force their hand to reveal their technology. And the assassination was in 1963. And we didn't go to the moon until 1969. They wanted him out of the picture because 
if it didn't go the way that it did and he was still alive, he still would have been president whenever we made it to the moon in 1969. Wow. He would have called them out on it. Right. Mm. And that wasn't the only reason that, you know, that he was assassinated because again, nothing just happens for one reason. There's multiple reasons. Oh yeah. But that is, that is a big reason. And I would say, 90, uh, well, 80% of the reason why they did that was because of the technology, right? And he was, and that's, that was his plan was to force them to reveal the technology, but instead they assassinated him, killed him, and then created this plot to deceive the public about going to the moon. So they faked the footage of the moon landing. Now, just because the footage was fake doesn't mean that we didn't go. That's uh, that's another thing that, that people get screwed up on is they think that, well, if the f- moon landing footage is fake, then that means that we didn't go. Well, we actually went. <clears throat> we just went under the guise of going as a rocket. And we had this super advanced anti-gravity craft that we had been working on. And we used the the rocket as a as a distraction. And while everyone was focused on the rocket getting to the moon, we actually went in a in a completely different way. Mm, wow. Yeah. And it's almost like folks our age might mix this up because we didn't live through it. But it's almost like JFK being assassinated primed the nation in like a mass trauma kind of way to really root for the moon mission and not question any facet of it. If if he didn't play a sacrificial role in that way, I wonder if there might have been more skepticism because, you know, people were so inspired and enamored by him and for him to be used as a little poster child post-mortem for the moon landing, you know, his his message was like broadcasted, right? I mean, the the whole footage of the Apollo crash. I remember they would, they, the movie I watched, they played a JFK speech over it, you know? So he's very much a part of the lore of the moon landings, but never lived to see the actual events occur. Absolutely. And James Forrestal actually wanted them to release the technology. He was actually vying for them to release it. And what they did to him was completely, and it's what they do. They, they turned him into a, a crazy raving lunatic and they actually locked him up into in a uh, mental hospital and assassinated him. And, you know, all this, they said that he uh, fell out of a window. You just don't fall out of a window. Right. You know, right. So um, that's how they took care of that problem. And the, the whole moon, uh, the whole Apollo mission was that was the beginning of the, the Naval Secret Space Program, uh, Solar Warden. <clears throat> and it wasn't only supposed to go to the moon. Their original mission statement was <clears throat> to go to different planets in the Milky Way galaxy and set up military bases on throughout the Milky Way galaxy on other planets after they got to the moon. And that's exactly what they did. They just did it behind closed doors and not in the open. So it became a super secret, dark, right above top secret kind of thing. And they've used the ETs as, you know, metaphors, right? This is why the people in this community for the past two years are saying that, you know, I don't know if you've heard that, but a lot of people are saying, you know, rep, the reptilian bases are being destroyed and taken off the planet or whatever. I, I, I don't know if you've heard this or, or not, Mark, but uh, about the reptilians. And 
because they want to make it all about something outside of ourselves, something that we can't control. So to, to shift the blame to something that we can't explain. So it's not reptilians, right? Reptilians are the metaphor for the Germans and the way that they snaked their way into actually winning the war with their superior technology, make us sign a contract with them. Right. And and like I said earlier, everyone wants to mystify it, right. And, and explain it away with out actually explaining it because if it's, if it's humans, that's doing it. And it's not ETs that are doing these abductions and, and, you know, experimentations and traumatizations and getting people MK ultra and, and fractalizing these people's consciousness and, you know, hurting these, you know, raping and molesting these uh, kids and, and trafficking these kids, then it becomes real, right? So if they can keep you looking for ETs when it's not ETs, then you can ultimately be deceived and they can continue about with the the crimes against humanity, with the military abductions, rape and torture of children. It's the oldest technique that the CIA has used, you know, where they release two truths and a lie to have plausible deniability. That's what this entire thing is about. And it's always plausible deniability. The truth is, is that There are UFOs and highly advanced technology, but the lie is that it's ETs, right? And that's why there's so many of these UFO mega superstars in the community that their stories don't make any sense and they don't add up because they aren't telling you the truth. And all of the big names in the UFO community can all be linked back to three-letter agencies, which is just a another branch of the military, the DIA, the, the, the DIA, DOD, and the CIA. I mean, look at Richard Doty. Richard Doty is an admitted counterintelligence on record saying that he has worked for the government on counterintelligence and they wear it like a badge of honor working for the government. Lou Elizondo is also on record admitting counterintelligence working for the government. And none of them will ever comment on the highly advanced, sophisticated technology that the military has. In fact, both Richard Doty and Lou Elizondo have been on record saying that they cannot comment on any of the advanced technology that the military might have because of uh, national security reasons, which is complete bullshit excuse. Their main role here, Mark, is to take the conversation back to ETs and aliens. When anyone mm. figures this shit out, this is why the whole community is littered with three-letter agency intelligence people, right? And they turn it into fear propaganda. It's to keep everybody on track about ETs and not making any connections to us, the the Germans, or our military. Right. This is what it is. And if people do figure it out... It, it will completely blow their entire operation. It burns it to the ground because the perfect deception and the perfect explanation is that it's ETs. You got it in the bag right there. Right. Right. They have everybody convinced that it it can't be human beings, but in the same flip of the coin, we see the, the evils that have been done on humanity by humans themselves. So how can we 
you know, expect anything better from these crypto Germans. I mean, they're underground. They're in these bases. They have our national parks, apparently, and they're disguising themselves as these, you know, otherworldly entities is very reminiscent of what we know about occults, you know, the occult societies that have flourished in different areas of the world throughout history, you know, their relationship with otherworldly beings and, and these otherworldly beings being more of a fixture of our minds or a fixture of the astral, the spiritual planes than an actual physical entity, you know, and this is just my opinion, maybe not yours, but it feels like they went, they studied the mind throughout, they figured out what chemicals, what energy, what vibration does this and that. And, and now they're able to put you in a, in a, a field where they're controlling what your brain is receiving the signals. Right. And that's why they're able to show. And I have had a guest on who is convinced himself that he was a part of a MyLab experiment and he described it as a screen memory this screen that's kind of overlaid and you can't see past the screen and what's really going on to you is what's on the other side of the screen but you're you're shown something entirely different and that is i mean deeply disturbing to to ponder you know what could be going on especially when these screen memories themselves are pretty terrifying in and of themselves so yeah, it, it would make sense that it's not some alien entity projecting another version of an alien entity into your vision. Like, why would they go and do that? They already look terrifying, right? Apparently. Yeah. So it makes more sense that they're, yeah, it's a subversion of the human form somehow, whether through technology or some sort of energy field. But it feels like, you know, human beings have always had this relationship through plants and it's like, okay, Mark, shut up about the drugs. We get it. You're a hippie. But when we look at plants, what are they? They're vibratory beings. They're living in a psychic world, right? So, you know, maybe I'm getting a little far-fetched and in the weeds here, no pun intended, but I think there's something, you know, about the nature of consciousness that lends itself to, you know, understanding what's really going on here. And I think you're hitting on this on many fronts i mean we consider the pharmaceutical companies and what country of origin most of them find themselves it's it's germany right so many of the tentacles that come from the you know that we discuss here in the research of conspiracy spirituality ufos and on and on and on so many of those tentacles come from that area in one way or another it's yeah it's it's really strange are there any places in the united states that you suspect are hot zones for this sort of interaction where maybe they have more control over a place than in others like you know people talk a lot about area 51 i think maybe that could be like a sort of you know distraction or a diversion skinwalker ranch has become extremely popular you recently interviewed ryan burns i mentioned that earlier that i interviewed Oh, no, I was talking about Chaz. I actually interviewed Ryan Burns this morning. So the Skinwalker Ranch thing is kind of fresh on my mind, too. But, yeah, are there any hot spots, strange locations that you've pinpointed or researched? 
I think that any spot that is like Area 51 or Skinwalker Ranch is exactly like what you said. It's just a diversion. Anything that might actually be going on there, it's to distract you from a place that they're actually doing the the real kind of developing the real technology and, and real activity. I mean, it's all over the United States. There's not really any specific point or specific area that I am aware of. I think that it's really all over. And I think a lot of their bases and a lot of their operations come from the East Coast, from Maine all the way down to, you know, Georgia. And like all all of those states over there on the East Coast is where a lot of their military operations are going on at. And I do just want to say something really quick because you touched on the, the actual ET part of um, the equation and I hope people don't think that I'm saying that ETs don't exist, right? Because I believe that they do exist, right? They're just they're just not flying around on tin can ships, right? And that's the huge deceptions. And the the ones that do come here physically, like the ones that uh, crash in Roswell and other places across the planet, they they were different, right? They they were actually using doll body avatars, right? And just like we are in an avatar right now, I believe that each one of us are in an avatar living out a 3D physical experience. Well, the, the extraterrestrials have an avatar set up like we do here, but they're actually able to transfer their consciousness into that avatar and puppet that avatar to have a 3D physical experience. And then they can jump out whenever they want, right? They've created that technology and they have that technology. And that's what the beings at Roswell were uh, using. They were using a dull avatar body and transferred their consciousness from a higher density into an already created body and partly organic and partly inorganic so that they can maneuver around within this uh, 3D physical reality. And those beings are very seldom. Right. I believe in the, the the aliens from Roswell. That was their first visit to Earth in over like 4,000 years. And the reason that they actually came was because of a nuclear radiation that they had detected in our atmosphere. So they were coming by and coming through to check it out and check the levels. And we just happened to catch them, right? And this is described in the, the interview with an alien from Roswell, the Matilda McDonald and McElroy transcripts uh, that you can find on YouTube where she had uh, straight up psychic communication from one of the aliens that survived in Roswell from the three crashes you can get on there. And, hmm. Well, and uh, listen to this. It's very, very detailed. The alien does not give any kind of information about is the, this the, the technology. Is this the being that was recovered from the crash that was like survived a few days afterwards? This is the same yeah. being. Wow. I've well, seen pictures of that online. He apparently survived for like six months. Wow. And he only had communication with one other person, and she was she worked for the Navy, I believe. In her, it's it's a pseudo name; it's not a real name because they had to change the name. But her name was uh, she used in in these transcripts it was Matilda McDonald McElroy. Mm, right. And it's a four hour long video. He the, the transcripts are all read. It was all psychic communication with this ET that that they took down in Roswell, and. 
they basically were able to because the et was was only able to communicate with this would only communicate with this certain individual and she would translate all of the because the et couldn't speak in english right it was just able to project emotions and stuff at first but what they did was because the being was highly intelligent and smart was that they brought him all kind of it, whatever it is. They brought him all the literature, all kinds of books about religion, about our history and everything. And he read it with all within like a week, like stacks and mountains and mountains and mountains of books. And he actually learned how to speak English and got more information about us and was able to communicate that to the, 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 the Matilda McDonald McElroy who was standing across from her and sitting across from her. And he gave her all this information about how our reality works, where they're from, uh, what they were doing, how often they come here. And, and yeah, that, uh, that's very, now, very good information. And I believe it's 100% uh, legit and real. And you can still find it on YouTube. It's too detailed. There's too much information in there that no one could possibly know. So, but the names have been changed and to hide the secrecy of, of the individual. And she was actually able to get out of Area 51 with the, the transcripts that she had written up on her. So, and that's how she was able to release them. And she didn't, uh, she didn't release them until I think after she died. Okay. Uh, she gave the transcripts to someone to, to be released. And yeah. uh, that's often was, the case with the, the post, you know, mortem <laughs> releasing of files for posterity's purposes. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I, I'm very familiar with this stuff and I think, you know, I have one question for you, but I also want to broach this out before I get to the question. I think when it comes to this topic, there's a layer of spirituality that becomes off-putting only at first to the newcomers. But what you realize if you have the patience and the open mind for that sort of thing, and you're maybe not so persuaded by some other fundamentalist religion, not that this one is fundamentalist, but you have this initiation that takes place and you realize that, wow, we are a part of such a larger, much more beautiful picture. And I wonder if you could speak to that. But first, let me ask you this more brief question. When it comes to these aliens that crashed in Roswell and this one in particular, you said they were projecting their consciousness into a doll avatar. And then this being lived on this earth for six months is the thought or the, the story that he then was removed from his body and his consciousness went back elsewhere to where he used to be like, or was this a death similar to what we would experience? Cause I mean, I believe in reincarnation. So I sort of, I understand what you're saying, projecting consciousness into an avatar to some degree, our bodies are avatars, right? But this seems more calculated. Like they actually do this with more control than we do as human beings. Yes, absolutely they do. And he was able to get out because I haven't watched this uh, this video in a really long time and listened to it in a really long time. So I could be getting uh, details wrong. You would have to go and watch it. It's like a four hour long video. But what had happened was is the, the military and the CIA got really uh, upset with this being because it wasn't telling them anything of use to them. 
right? It was basically talking about spirituality and reincarnation and how we're here on this prison planet and how religion is basically a made up man-made concept and they've gotten the message completely wrong and how that they've been trying to feed us good information but we've been misinterpreting it all along and we've we've basically imploded upon ourselves we've created a not a good scenario for us here on this planet and the people that are that are reading these transcripts that uh, Matilda McDonald McElroy is um typing up and writing down they aren't liking what they're hearing because the ET is not giving them any information about its technology that's what they want to know because they automatically think that it's a threat and that they can attack it and that they can attack us and destroy us and eliminate us and all that so they aren't liking the responses that that the alien is giving this lady so they eventually get really fed up and the alien the et knew then that they were getting really frustrated with what he was telling them and uh, he had communicated to his uh, the, the people that uh, are above him the, the the name of us called the domain they are a, a group of extraterrestrials and they kind of they're like kind of like certain not really surveyors but kind of maybe protectors and some kind of way in this section of the, the the Milky Way galaxy. And he knew that they were getting ready to come in and, and move on him and uh, basically attack him and, and, you know, kill him basically. And uh, he contacted his superiors to, to get him out of there consciously before they came in. So whenever they came in, he like, and they, apparently they put him to the table and like handcuffed him. And, and right at that moment, he had already got his consciousness out of there. And he was just a, a limp doll body at that point. But yeah, they, they do. And that's my running theory about a lot of these extraterrestrial groups <clears throat> is that they are a single consciousness, right? And they have the ability to put on any avatar skin suit that they wish, right? They can go into their closet and grab a <clears throat> Andromedan skin suit, a Palladian skin suit, a reptilian skin suit, a gray skin suit, just like we go to the closet and put on a different pair of clothes every day. They have the ability to go put on in a completely different avatar every day, depending on what agenda they they are working on or what their mission is depends on the avatar uh, and skin suit that they wear wow yeah and and with that realization it goes and and you know begs the question well how many of us human beings are avatars being operated by these interplanetary galactic you know even consciousnesses like how many of us are are maybe part of some subterranean group you know that's existed on the planet concurrently with humans and they they use you know our vessels to project their will up here i mean the possibilities are really astounding when you when you have that perspective and that's why i kind of asked you earlier maybe i should have asked you these separately but you know what are your thoughts on spirituality given everything you know about um 
this situation because it's not as simple. I can't sum it up as like, well, what you know about UFOs? Because as we've discussed here, it's pretty complicated. You know, there's Germans, there's Nazis, there's fascists, you know, in the mix. And those characters are no one I want to worship. So what's the, what's the, you know, the scoop on, on where these two sort of worlds meet? Well, like I was saying uh, earlier, extraterrestrials do exist, Mark, and they're not flying around tin can craft, right? This is why the 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 community is split, right? Half of the community thinks it's a spiritual contact, it's a consciousness contact. It has to do with vibration and some kind of initiation. You kind of got to be at the right spot at the right time. Vibration has to be as high, and then there's a other side of it that thinks it's a 100% physical phenomenon. And that's where it's, it's getting, you have these two polar opposites of what people think are going on and the real ET contact with true and real extraterrestrials are done consciously, not physically. It's a spiritual contact and the, the physical stuff again i've already beat it into the ground here today but is our military the abductions are our military and other militaries across the planet right but the actual et contact is a loving joyful happiness and pleasurous experience right if you're having true et contact you're not going to have any fear there's not going to be any fear surrounded with it because the, the actual ETs want nothing to do, but to better our lives and evolve our consciousness and raise us to a higher vibration and help us get along with each other. It's just been disguised that these ETs are that that we are actually the ETs, right? That's the deception because if they can, take people and and get their minds wrapped around. And that's why, the, again, why a lot of these CIA and military people are involved in the community because whenever you, uh, they'll look at the Nimitz uh, video or the Tic Tac video or whatever, and they'll bring on a military intelligence person or a three-letter agency intelligence person. And they'll, they always comment every single time, Mark, Every single time, no matter what interview they're on, no matter what show they're on, if they're on a big platform, they're on mainstream media news, they'll always get asked, they'll always be like, yes, I've been in the military. I I know for a fact that we don't have any advanced technology that can do any of these kind of maneuvers, right? So they're using them for their credibility to, to divert the attention back to ETs, right? And it's a, it's a, the biggest freaking deception that that we could possibly talk about. And it's so huge and they've done such a good job brainwashing people around the fear of extraterrestrials when they are nothing to be feared. The ones that are to be feared is our military and the people that's been covering it up and the people that's been covering it up are now starting to come out and say that it's real. And that's an agenda. 
Well, and and as and, a deception. And in, with this in mind, you know, we want to, you know, well, if we take it back and connect it to this fascist order that is actually using the man-made crafts and whatnot, what would they despise the most? They would despise some sort of spiritual uprising. They would despise some sort of enlightenment uh, of some random person who then goes and starts a movement that inspires people to buck against the system. They don't want any of that. So what you're saying, brother, not only does it make perfect sense, but it's welcome here on this show because it's such a complicated subject. And I haven't quite heard someone with this perspective this way yet maybe i have just not noticed it but i really really resonate with what you're saying and i think it's it's making a lot of sense you know we just had a conversation freddie silva about the crop circles and how there's this you know blueprint for our consciousness and for our evolution that these these beings have encoded into the crop circles and he said to me he said these beings have been with us forever. They're the invisible ones. They used to live on the planet with us. And when we say the word extraterrestrial, it you know implies all these sci-fi images of beings from another planet. But I think the truth is, is there's a spiritual force that's here that appears to us from our modern perspective as otherworldly. And because that we've had it defined through science fiction that it is a certain way, they've you know connected that to this mind control programming you know this is all a part of the psyop to get be part of the state really i think you know makes perfect sense and and in the past maybe a a being of light would inspire a figure like jesus to go and and cause a whole thing and jesus gets killed by the empire you know now the empire is just like nipping it in the bud completely like no 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 don't go near any of the beings of light because they want to you know stick a probe up your butt right so that's that's yeah wow i mean geez thank you for letting me (laughs) kind of paraphrase that but yes i'm i'm with it man well, I mean, absolutely. It's a it's a deception on many many fronts, and we mm. can't. And it's hard to. And you just brought up a good point that they that they're also detracting you from wanting to experience ET contact, the true and real ET contact. It's not only covering up their involvement in it, but it's also making the people not wanting to experience any kind of contact. That's a really good. Well, and and. If you think about it, like, who do we have talking about ET contact for the most part? You know, like one that comes to mind is like Jim Penniston, military guy talking about his contact with aliens. But then there are others that aren't alive anymore and maybe some that don't get any attention at all that should. But one that I can think of is like Billy Meyer, right? Like he had a very benevolent, enlightening experience with the ETs that contacted him as far as. I know, maybe I'm misremembering that story, but do you have any examples uh, that you can recall of of more benevolent experiencers and people who have been inspired by this? Because I think this is a part of muddying the waters, the strategy that they, you know, they have guys like, you know, Lou Elizondo doing the podcast circuit. But before podcasts were big, it were it was guys that were writing weird books that threw people down, you know, dead ends, what they think are rabbit holes that end up being dead ends, you know? Yeah. 
I think that, yeah, there's lots of experiencers and lots of people that have had really positive and uh, uplifting contact experiences. Uh, Preston Dennett, he's wrote all kinds of books on positive ET contact. He He's had positive ET contact. He's interviewed a bunch of different people that's had positive ET contact. And, you know, I think that if any entity... Here's the difference between being able to figure out if something is is trying to help you or not trying to help you. It, one, if it's physical. If it's physical, it's not trying to help you, right? If it's spiritual, then and it comes to you in a, a vision or a dream and it's trying to better your life. If it's psychic communication, a lot of times it can be uh, it can be a good thing, but there's also uh, another thing with psychic communication. The military also has V2K voice to skull technology, the way that they can implant uh, certain thoughts and ideas into your brain directly through your technology through a device. So I'd also be careful about any kind of psychic communication or any kind of channeling communication and only trust certain people that have proven themselves of who they are. But if something is positive and something is uplifting and you get a sense of joy and a sense of peace and a sense of love from this being or from this entity, then that means that they care about you and that they're here for your highest and best good. And they want you to heal yourself. They want you to get through your traumas. They want you to take care of the the, th- the things that have been bugging you in your life. They want to, you know, completely rewire your, your subconscious and help you on a fundamental kind of level, those are the beings that you really want to be in contact with. And anything that is fearful, anything that gets you a really fear, fear or anger or hate or any of those negative kinds of emotions just completely step out and completely back out. And that's not saying that those things aren't needed, but we have enough fear, anger, and hate in the world and and in the reality that we're already in. We don't need more of it from some kind of uh, ET or some kind of other kind of contact experience, right? We need uh, positive and uplifting. And whenever they give you really good information, uh, beneficial information, then you know that that they are positive and they care about you and your and your highest and best good. Thank you, yeah, man, and that's something I was hoping to get to because I think there are people out there who are primed through podcasts like this to have these sort of experiences. So, I mean, whether it's as a, you know extraordinary as actual spiritual contact or maybe just you know, having a synchronicity that lines something up that ends up being really beneficial. I've had that happen many times through the podcast, you know, way before I was even hosting my own podcast. And, you know, I've had Ryan Bledsoe on the show and Ryan's a very interesting guy. He's definitely has his own story to tell that I won't retell because he's told it before, but you might be aware and and i think he has a very similar message that these beings are here to help us the beings of light are here to help us and it's amazing on the flip side of that to hear the perils that he's went through with these three-letter agencies harassing his family trying to create documentaries that portray their story in a negative light or in an uninformed light and They've done a really good job, in my opinion, from what he's told me. Of course, you know, he's, you know, I'm 
getting it from the horse's mouth, so there's a selective bias there, I'm sure. But I trust Ryan. And he, yeah, he tells his story, and it doesn't sound like the three-letter agencies are doing him any favors. If anything, they're just causing more problems in their life under the guise of trying to research what's going on. And it's just ridiculous, man. It, it borders on harassment. That's why uh, a lot of the people that have had real contact experiences back in the early as the 60s or the 70s, the, the men in black would always show up, right? Because they're interested in the the real ET contact and then the three-letter agencies get involved with real people and then they try and put out, make it as hard as they can for the actual real contactees that has figured out some kind of real information that ETs has disclosed to them. The, the three-letter agencies want to get in and figure out what it is. So they make things way harder for the real legitimate contactees that have actually contacted real ets and real aliens you know that's and we've seen that a lot like and they'll put out disinformation and try and destroy the credibility of these of these real et contactees all the time i mean there i mean there's a lot of evidence of the because you brought up billy meyer earlier there's there's a lot of evidence that a lot of the Billy Meyer photos and stuff ha has been faked and they were done by wire and strings and, and analysis on the, the Billy Meyer stuff. But I think that it could have been that he actually was in contact with real extraterrestrials and some three letter agencies or some kind of uh, people superimpose these uh, things into the photographs and to discredit him and then, you know, make it to where no one looks at any of his stuff or takes him seriously anymore. I mean, that's a, that's another trick that the, uh, the CIA and three letter agencies do. They'll do anything. They'll go to any realm of possibility to discredit somebody. They will dig up old stuff on people. They, they will do whatever it takes to, and sometimes they'll just completely fabricate stuff and make things up, you know, just to, make someone unbelievable or lower their credibility within the, in the public eye. Right. Right. So wow, nothing man. is out of the realm of possibility with any of these things, you know, yeah. like I'm not 100% sure on the Billy Meyer case, it could be that, that he was faking the whole thing to get some kind of publicity or maybe he wasn't and it was planted on him. I really have no idea, but I have the open mind enough to think about both uh, sides of the equation. Fantastic, man. Yeah. And thank you for bringing me through all this stuff. It's it's very clear that this is something you're well versed in and well researched in. So I encourage everyone that's tuning into this show to go and check out Raised by Giants. You can most definitely listen to it on whatever app you're already listening to this podcast on. Uh, Ryder, anywhere else that they can follow up and support you, brother? Raised by Giants. You got almost more, you got past 100 episodes at this point. Tell us uh, what else we can find for me. You can find me on YouTube at Raised by Giants. You can also find me on Rockfin. I just got a Rockfin channel a little over, a little under two weeks ago. You can find me on there. I'm posting my content on there as well. And you can find me on any other podcast platform, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple, 
uh, Spreaker, iHeartRadio, Amazon, anywhere you listen to podcasts on. And I uh, thank you so much for having me on, Mark, my brother. It was an amazing conversation. I really enjoyed it, and I appreciate you a lot, and uh, thank you. Thank you, man. No, thank you. The pleasure is all mine. The honor is mine. And like I said, you're clearly well-versed in this, so it was a real trip for me to sit back and learn from you because, like I said earlier, like it really, I, I'm, I'm well-versed myself, but it had never crossed my mind the intricacy of the deception quite the way you laid it out for me. And, yeah, wow, it's connecting a lot of dots. So, Ryder, thank you, brother, for everyone listening. Enjoy the moment, wherever you are in the net. Thank you, Ryder Lee, for joining me. Please do go and check his show out using whatever podcast app you're using now. That's the Raised by Giants podcast, and he is associated with Chris Matthews, uh, past guest on the show here, uh, Forbidden Knowledge Network, right? This is a Chris Matthews deal, and he's got a really cool website. And speaking of cool networks and things like that, you can find his network on Alt Media United, a podcast cooperative that aims to be more than a network. We go above and beyond to help you, the individual podcaster, create amazing independent content and by we i mean really me and uh alex sakaris of the skeptico podcast so please do get in touch if you have a podcast and thank you so much for tuning in in the spirit of community uh, i offered my friend ron from new england a chance to come on the show and share his insight on similar subjects ron is very knowledgeable uh, when it comes to world war ii so I thought, given uh, this conversation with Ryder Lee was fairly shorter than usual, we can have an appendage to this episode with Ron uh, <laughs> at the end here. An extended outro. Yeah.
Is that New York or, or Seattle? What, what city is that behind uh, no, you? No, that's Boston. Boston. Oh, what am I thinking? How could I have gone so far away? There you go. Now you're in your Harry Potter <laughs> library. Why is my screen so messed up? It looks like... Oh, it just looks like I have a palm tree. Now. I'm in my private library of hidden history and mysteries. Okay. Do I sound okay? You sound good. What kind of mysteries have been going on in the haunted garage lately? Anything interesting? Yeah, we have a lot of mysteries lately. <laughs> like, where are the people? Your cars are done. Come pay for them. <laughs> Let me just take a minute here, Mark. It's been a crazy day. Yeah, no, we're not going to roll right into it all cold like that. Don't worry. I'm not going to jump on you like that. Wh who, what kind of host would I be if I was already recording? I mean, that would be ludicrous. I'm already recording, Ron. I want to ask you, Ron, about some of the stranger aspects of the Nazis, because that's what we talked about in this episode that you'll be featured in. With Ryder Lee, Raised by Giants. I told you a little bit about him on the phone. But we talked about Roswell as this sort of marker in time for alien contact. And how the Nazis have this advanced technology and have been in contact with certain alien species. And this was a few weeks ago, so I don't remember exact details. But he has, you know, a lot of out there theories about the nazis and i wanted to know what were some of the more bizarre ones that you believed in all right so yeah that's where we start ron you know but if you want to do a more traditional intro how you been how's the wicked planet podcast going welcome to the show <laughs> wicked Planet's doing good right on listeners have doubled since the beginning of april so we're pretty happy about that congrats <laughs> but yeah yeah you know i know you know a little bit about some of the Nazi theories and uh, and everything that's tied in with Antarctica and and basically Hollow Earth too, which is the is which is the one thing I kind of always struggled with was you know how does Antarctica fit in with Hollow Earth? How does Flat Earth fit in with Hollow Earth? How does Ice Wall fit in with Hollow Earth? And just a lot of the things that you see or that you've heard or any old videos like from periscope films when you watch old videos about Admiral Byrd and stuff. <clears throat> but I think it's all tied in in one way or another. You know, you know, I, I, I'm kind of a firm believer in the fourth Reich theory where the Nazis won the war, but the Germans didn't. And this is like, however you want to put that. But. Yeah. That's the better, that's the more concise and intelligent way to put it. I sort of beat around the bush at saying that, but yeah, it's, that's exactly what Ryderly was giving me evidence for was the fourth Reich and their presence here 
today and, and the history post-World War II. Right. Well, when you think about, uh, you know, the, the technology that the Nazis had that we discovered after the war, or even, even towards the end of the war, when we discovered that they had all this heavy water they were processing, and you need heavy water to make a, any type of atomic weapon, Right. This is before they called them, you know, nuclear weapons or whatever, but, but they were, you know, atomic weapons. And it was, and I forget, I'm trying to remember if it was Norway. They did a raid in Norway, I want to say, or it might've been in Germany where they were processing heavy water. The, the Nazis were and, and and the theory is, and I've actually said this before that if the Nazis had another, say 60 to 90 days, I, th- I think the outcome that we've been taught would have been a lot different because, you know, once you achieved atomic weapons, well, then that's, that's pretty much end game right there. You know, I mean, it's different now when you have multiple countries that are all nuclear powers, but back then there was no such thing. So if the Nazis were the first ones to come up with nuclear power or nuclear weapons or whatever, that would have been a huge game changer. But we, but we were able to stop that, get that heavy water, and that heavy water that, that the U.S. troops, you know, the U.S. government was able to capture is the heavy water that they used in the Manhattan Project, which was to build the new, well, the hydrogen bombs or atom bombs or whatever you want to call them that we dropped on Japan to end the whole Japanese theater of the World War II. Because I think... A lot of people need to be reminded that when the war in the war in Europe ended, you know, technically, the war the war in the Pacific Theater with Japan was still raging. I, I mean, I had a couple of my great uncles that fought in Europe, and they were oh the the war is over oh no now you're getting redeployed so they got sent over to like the like the Pacific Theater to fight you know a few more months. But anyways, well, and I kind of lost you for a second only because I feel like we're glossing past the term heavy water and I don't want there to be any confusion because this is I'm looking this up on Wikipedia and this is pretty deep. Heavy water is a form of water that contains only deuterium, also known as heavy hydrogen, rather than the common hydrogen one isotope that makes up most of the hydrogen in normal water. The presence of the heavier hydrogen isotope gives the water different nuclear properties and increase, and the increase of mass gives it slightly different physical and chemical properties when compared to normal water. Very interesting. The other thing, DOD is the, is the chemical structure department of defense (laughs) that's interesting but yeah so heavy water you know someone might hear that and just be like oh what's heavy water like water with sand in it or something but no it's it's a actual uh element you know different elemental form of water that's really interesting i had never heard about this before oh okay well, making sure that the Nazis didn't have any was a pretty huge priority. Now, you know, I, I, I mean, I think, you know, with our spies and, uh, you know, using counterintelligence during the war, you know, towards the end of the war, I think we were starting to discover just what the Nazis had to work with. And I think that scared the shit out of the American government. Because not only, you know, you, you just bring in the whole nuclear part of it, right? But you got to remember 
like the Nazis were the first ones to come up with rockets. Like, like the V1 and the V2 rocket, right? The V1 was a rocket that was basically an unmanned plane is what it was. And it would carry its payload and, and, and how it, and how it was detonated was just on impact when it landed. So they had to calculate, you got to remember how smart the Germans were. I mean, not that the Americans weren't smart, but the Germans took it all to a different level. Right. So they would shoot off this V1, these V1 rockets, and they would just basically run out of fuel. And when they ran out of fuel, well, that's when they crash landed and then exploded on impact. So it was a sort of like, you know, sh- you know, shoddy business. You sort of aim it in a certain direction and hope that it stays the course. Or did they have like a, a guidance system on these things? Well, I think it was a predetermined guiding system, you know, because they were shooting them off from a, a town called Pietermunde, which was in northern Germany, I believe, uh, like right near the Baltic Sea. And then shooting it over to England because that's what like the bad when they were really heavily bombing London, for instance, that's what they were sending over was the V1 rocket. Well, then they came up with the V2 rocket, right? Which was an intercontinental ballistic missile, like the first ICBMs. And when we talk about, you know, Americans and Russians, you know, shooting missiles at each other, that's what we're talking about. You know, long range missiles that go up like way up high, super high altitude and then come down on a trajectory to land at a particular place. You know, I'm not sure if they use gyroscopes or however that was set up back in the day, but the V2 was a pretty badass weapon. I mean, they were able to get a few of those to work, but, but who, who was the head of that project? Warner von Braun, who was a Nazi SS officer and not the regular army, the SS. Right. And we're right. told for strategic purposes, these guys were hired by the U.S. military and all their various agencies to keep them out of Russia's hands. Right. That's the story we're given. Yeah. The story that we're given that, and I think that's pretty accurate, actually, because a lot of these Germans, you know, the Russians had a lot of hate for the Germans and they didn't want to fall into the Russian hands. But then you hear other people, you know, theorizing that, well, they were going to go to whoever the highest bidder was. And I got to believe that any smart scientist, you know, like, like on a, you know, non-scientific level would have to, you know, say to themselves, well, life in the United States is probably going to be a whole lot better than life in Russia. Right. Cause Russia was a communist country. Right. I mean, even though that I'm sure they would have been taken care of, but, but the problem there is, once the Russians finish you up with your usability, well, they have no incentive to keep you, right? So it's either off to the gulag or off to the, off to the firing squad. Yeah, you got to remember Joseph Stalin, they, like they, they executed like mass amounts of people on a daily basis. Not to mention a lot of the German officers and German army that they captured, you know, and took them back to Russia with them. There's a lot of those people were never heard from again. And I, and I think, you know, even earlier, earlier, you know, with the whole debacle of Operation Barbarossa, when the Nazis decided they were going to invade Russia, you know, and then they did that whole, the Russians did the scorch earth policy, which meant every time they retreated, they just lit everything on fire. So there was no, you know, no buildings, no food, no wheat, nothing, you know, no crops, anything. 
when they retreated. And then they just lured the Germans further in and further in, and they just bogged them down till winter. Well, winter was the make or break right there. The Germans are out there. They, they invaded in the summer. And here they are stuck in a Russian winter with like no winter clothes. They're so far ahead, they're cutting off their supply lines. Then they get encircled by the Russians. So, so I mean, the Russians, you know, the Nazis inflicted a lot of casualties on the Russians. The Russians didn't forget that, you know, including killing civilians. You know, which in war, you know, civilians are supposed to be kind of like hands off, right? So right. take all that, all these factors in, and then, and then you as a scientist, I mean, what would you think? Yeah, no, undoubtedly. It'd be a lot safer to go to the United States. So, so Werner von Braun wanted to come to the United States, and of course he was he was part of Operation Paperclip. And those are just like the like the ones that we know about. You know, what about the other Nazis that came across in, in Paperclip and brought that technology with them? I mean, when you see our stealth bomber, you know, like that all that stealth technology that was all like that was all derived from the Nazi technology. You know, and that's not even getting into some of their weird propulsion designs that they came up with. And then, and then there was a theories that Hitler had said that, well, they had help from, help from others, you know, to paraphrase it or whatever, which led people to believe, you know, alien hunter type people to believe that, you know, these, the Nazis maybe had some help from extraterrestrials. You know, I mean, if, if you believe in the whole extraterrestrial thing, whether they're from off planet or if they're from realms within our planet, which is a whole other discussion. Hmm. Uh, let's just say, let's just call them extraterrestrials. Like they could have gave the Germans all that technology. Right. Right. And all this stuff started getting hot and heavy right after world war two. You know, yeah. without jumping, jumping past the Nazis too far. But you know, when we started detonating, you know, atomic weapons, now, all of a sudden, you know, a couple of years later, this is when Roswell happens. You know, and there's something I'm reading about right now called the Aztec incident that I don't want to get into too much, just throw out a little teaser. But that, that's right around in that same time frame where other alien craft was, you know, recovered by the U.S. government. But, but this all ties into the whole Ad, Admiral Byrd slash Hollow Earth slash Antarctica North Pole thing. Like when you start looking at all these different stories, like 20 different stories, they all kind of intersect in the same thing. It's all, it's all derived from Nazis. And I don't know, you know, even, even a skeptic would have to agree with that. All they got to do is just do like simple, just like just surface research and they can find all that out. Right. Right. Yeah. And I was just having a conversation yesterday where someone was discussing, you know, this sort of, you know, connection between the serpent and the I Ching and then AI and like kind of tracing it back. And you hear these stories throughout history where knowledge, you know, the whole Promethean archetype, right, where knowledge is given through astral spiritual metaphysical means and you see this fascination in germany with the occult prior to the nazis you know reign to supremacy and and you see this you know possibly 
channeling, you know, explicitly mentioned, right? They have this idea of blonde women growing their hair very long in order to enhance their psychic communicative abilities. I mean, this was a deep part of their culture and, and you see them getting all this technology and you know, it reminds you almost of Tesla, you know, channeling his inventions or Einstein channeling his mathematic equations. You know, we have geniuses who have done a lot for the world who, who describe the same phenomena that it seems the Nazis were tapping into somehow. So it begs the question, you know, is this always for good? Because we're told stories that, oh, this genius only comes to those who have the purest of intentions. But, you know, it seems like that's not the case with the Nazis. How much of that do you think was actually channeled? Do you think there was a secret group that maybe had this technology or, you know, they're just extraordinary beings and we won't know really until we're able to, to get evidence of them themselves? Well, I don't, I don't think, I think that anything is I don't think any just natural born human is born with that knowledge. I think that knowledge has to be downloaded. Mm, right. Right. Has to be downloaded directly. Now, when you talk about the Nazis, like, okay, so you go back to the Thule Society, you know, and then and then what the Nazis called Vril, which was this type of energy, right? And you're talking like when you talk about the long hair, that's like I want to say her name was Maria Orsich, which was part of the Thule Society which was something that SS Heinrich Himmler, you know, and his SS guys, they, they were into the occult like big time, right? I mean, we've talked about that like at length before. So, so that, so the whole idea that then maybe they're getting these download, what, what, what I call a download or, or what you were saying, like, I don't know, what was the term that you use? Like, like spiritual, spiritual information handed down to them. Same thing with, same thing with Einstein and even Nikola Tesla said that he, that he had gotten downloads in his sleep. You know, he called it something else, but it's essentially what it was. I mean, you want to talk about a genius and that's the, the genius that nobody knows about, you know, except people like us. But when you go back to the Nazis and the real, the, the Vril and the Thule society, again, tied in with the SS, like using this, who's to say that, 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 that that's not legit. I mean, we don't know, but when you start thinking about it, okay, well, they could be channeling down information from, you know, other beings or whatever. And this is where they came up with the idea for the things that they've built. I mean, I mean, even like the Nazi bell, right? The time, the time machine that, I mean, literally disappeared, like disappeared in a, in a few of the officers working on that project disappeared as well like without a trace just gone and then later down the road we have this ufo slash ufo crash incident in kecksburg pennsylvania and the description of this craft is the same as the nazi bell now i'm not saying it's the same but i mean it's pretty suspect Right, right. And we're told yeah, that there were high Not only that, Mark, but then they had witnesses say that people got out of the craft in Nazi uniforms. Oh, wow. That So I mean, did 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 the Nazi bell work? Did that time machine work? You know, maybe they didn't have control of where it came up because you know, Kecksburg was was, you know, quite a few years after the after the time that that had disappeared. But when you talk about space, 
and try to wrap your head around time and all these things, which sounds like a very simple concept, but it's, it's not. I mean, you could just take the concept of time and, and just fucking think about that. And it's just mind boggling, right? So who knows? I mean, that might've been 10 minutes for them. Might've been five minutes for them. They might've said, oh, geez, you know, we, we just, you know, went through this massive electrical storm or whatever. And boom, now we're in fucking Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm looking it up right now. It happened in 1965. I remember seeing this on the history channel and they reported, you know, and I think they took this from unsolved mysteries. Now that I've seen both shows, I can kind of piece it back together. So unsolved mysteries described it as hieroglyphics, but I feel like that's like a cover, especially when you consider how, you know, we have this U S operation paperclip, you have this government faction of Nazis who are well aware of all this technology. That's the men in black right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's exactly what it is. I mean, you, you know, that these, these governmental organizations had to be separated from each other. Right. They had to keep things secret from each other. What's the word that we use? Com compartmentalized. Mm, right. And, and they didn't, and they didn't share information back and forth because, you know, whatever agency held the power, well, they're going to make more money. Yeah. You know, they're going to have more power. I mean, that's just how it works. That's just why the FBI, the CIA, the NSA, the DOD, like, like they don't share information. Had they shared information, we wouldn't be going through half the shit that we go through. Right. You know, including terrorist attacks and things like that, which, Again, could be something that the government's actually behind anyway. Well, check this out. Leslie Keene, described as an investigative reporter backed by the Sci-Fi Channel, reportedly sued NASA under the Freedom of Information Act for lost NASA records concerning the Kecksburg incident. On October 26, 2007, NASA agreed to search for those records after being ordered by a court. And during the hearing, Steve McConnell NASA's public liaison officer testified that two boxes of papers from the time of the Kecksburg incident were missing. Loss of records is not a unique, unique case for NASA. For example, the original tapes recorded during the televised Apollo 11 moon landing were misplaced or reused. Wow. So, yeah, this definitely feels like a cover-up is at play, and I've never heard that about the Nazis stepping out of the Kecksburg ship, but that puts it into perspective because I always kind of was, you know, suspicious of that. Like, oh, it looks exactly like what we're told the Nazi bell looked like. How could that be a coincidence? Yeah, they describe, I want to say they described it as acorn shaped. Oh yeah, yeah. They have a model here. If anyone looks it up on Wikipedia, it's spelled K-E-C-K-S-B-U-R-G incident kecksburg incident and that's kecksburg pennsylvania but yeah it's you know i think that hieroglyphics sort of statement is one of those it's an example of like giving you information to shock and awe you but throwing you off you know so that they can't hide this stuff altogether. so what they do is they give it to us in a parcel with a package with a stamp on it you know like here's here's exactly what it is let us tell you what it is and and that gets imprinted in people's minds and instead of realizing there's a fourth reich it builds this whole ufology movement up more and more steam which has its own merits in its own way but a lot of the nazi stuff gets conflated with ufology and i think you know it's a very you know it's a very good ruse for them to pull if they're going to be using all these advanced ships. 
Okay, so if you want to think at it, think of it in those terms, right? It's just total disinformation is all it is on the government's part. But say that the Nazis had some type of help from off-planet people or, you know, other dimensional people. Maybe these hieroglyphics were just strange symbols that, you know, us as humans are not familiar with. Because who's to say that when these Nazis got in the bell and it took off and disappeared, that they weren't planning on going somewhere else and just happened to show up in Pennsylvania. I mean, I'm sure Kecksburg, Pennsylvania wasn't their desired like destination, right? Well, yeah, it seems like they were unprepared. Could have been explaining to wherever they were planning on landing that, hey, we're friendlies. Well, another interesting thing about the Kecksburg incident is it says that the reports stated that the thing was seen flying in the sky over Michigan down to Kecksburg, Pennsylvania, and even people in Canada reported seeing it. But why I brought that Michigan thing up is because you might be familiar with Chad Stemke. He was recently on my show talking about the the Great Lakes portal. So who knows if this is some kind of time machine, maybe they had to use some sort of energy planetary force you know some sort of tutelary energy from the planet to to work this machine i mean it is acorn shaped that can't be coincidental you know i mean an acorn is shaped in a very particular sacred geometrical way so yeah right and who's to say that this bell actually like flew in a sense that we think a ufo would fly well yeah it could have like, spun like a top was a ufo at all i don't think it was a craft like a spacecraft at all like a time craft i think it was a time craft yeah good example that it just went into like i guess it would go into the spin right and the spin is probably generating some type of electrical pulse or electrical force field or whatever which in fact could have opened a portal well, to look at pop culture reference, we see the movie Inception and that whole spinning top becomes like a big part of the dimension jumping aspect of this whole thing that's, you know, it's couched in the dream world. But I mean, what's the difference between waking reality and dream reality other than, you know, our body is conscious and then our body's not conscious? Yeah, but I think this bell could have just been something that was designed to open a portal, travel through the right. portal, and if there's a Great Lakes portal, it could have popped out there. Right, right, yeah. That the would've... other thing is, is, say, if it was a craft, I mean, I don't believe this bell thing had a propulsion system. Hmm. I don't think I don't think it had its own like technical. Well, it seems like something that is launched from a spot that you know, like it's like it's a portion of technology. The larger technology is just like what launches it, you know? So yeah, wherever it ends up, it ends up. And there's no probably way of getting it back to where you launched it from accurately, at least in the first few tests, they probably have it down to a science. Now, if, you know, we can extrapolate that happening in the sixties, where, where are they at now? Almost 60 years later, right? you know, geez. Right. Right. You know, I, I kind of wondered, and I've thought about this before, if this is like, this was, wasn't, th- this was a plan to just make the bell disappear. So it didn't fall into the wrong hands, I think. All right. Because they're like, okay, wherever this bell ends up, I mean, these, these Nazis didn't just jump into the bell to escape from, you know, oncoming Russian or American troops. Right. I mean, that would be, that'd be a waste. So it's like, okay, well, we got to, we got to get this thing and we got to, we got to move it because we can't have this fall into the wrong hands because 
they had to know whoever ended up with that bell was going to be the one that had that held that technology. Well, and also you consider what we're told, at least through sci-fi, about these sorts of journeys, even just in space. We're often told that time is not consistent uh, in different localities, right? In space, our time reference to time is based on the sun and how it goes around the sun. But who knows? I mean, these people could have been, you know, away for a whole lifetime and then, you know, 20 plus years later in 1965 appear. And yeah, maybe they calculated for that. And that's why they adopted all these guys into the paperclip and, you know, they got them up to speed and they're like, okay, we're going to get these time bandits back, you know, in the sixties. So let's get ready for that. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, it's just, it's too bad. I don't think we'll live long enough to actually know the answers to these questions. Mm. You know, you can file all the FOIA requests you want. There's just not, they don't have to tell you anything. Well, and I mean, they, they could, could give you tidbits. Look at all the FOIA requests that were that were sent out for Project the Blue Book, right? And how much of that's blacked out, and how yeah, many times yeah, did they lose that. boxes yeah, like this that. story? There you go, and then all it is is the title and the end, right? Nothing right. in the middle. But uh, but what's interesting about that is when you start thinking, you know, okay, paperclip, end of the war, Nazi bell, hydrogen, you know, atom bombs, the precursor to nuclear weapons, and then we bring Admiral Byrd into the mix with Operation High Jump. Because, you know, because then you hear all the stories, they went there with a massive convoy, troops, heavy equipment, ships, right? And they get chased off allegedly by flying saucers with swastikas on them. I mean, we've all heard the stories. Again, never know, we'll ever do I don't know if we'll ever know that it's true, but it's definitely interesting because it all fits into that. Like it makes all the pieces of the puzzle fit. Well, and to me, it feels like this is something that preempted World War II by a long shot. I mean, you consider that, I don't know how familiar you are with Walter Bosley's research, but there are German people living in the United States in the 1800s who were flying, you know, dirigibles and all sorts of different hot air balloon type crafts. And with those types of crafts, you don't have to go just in a straight line. You can descend down. Who knows? Maybe they descended into some Grand Canyon cavern and found portions of the hollow earth that you can't access without a, a you know, a balloon vehicle of that type. I mean, I don't know how easy easily available those types of machines are to the average person but seems like you'd have to have to have some skill and knowledge to be able to navigate one of those things for far distances but yeah my theory is that and it's not my theory it's a theory that i've heard other people talk about and it seems to make the most sense to me is that they were working on this stuff as early as 1840s and by 1940s, they had 100 years of technology flying, you know, these types of crafts. Because you look at the history of these hot air balloons and zeppelins and stuff. I mean, it goes back that far. So, I mean, it seems yeah, like not, there's not a relation. To mention, not to mention evidence that a lot of these big, tall, tall skyscraper buildings all over the world had like landing ports on them. Right. The dirigible would go up and just attach to it. Yeah, and yeah, no, I, I'm a firm believer that airships were around for a long time before the Wright brothers got a plane to fly. Mm, right. You know what I mean? And, and then there's a lot of talk that their whole Wright brothers thing was nothing but a psyop. 
It makes sense considering what they, they did with the car. Sorry to interrupt, but they had to make it look like somebody invented an airship. Right, right. And they had to make it. It was already out there for 100 years. Well, and they had to make it like a car as opposed to a train where you have to rely on gasoline and it's a fixed amount and there's a price on it. You know, these airships, you could fly around the whole world in those things without, you know, refueling because just the way they're built. Right. Right. The only thing that would take any type of power is your navigational systems. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, and really, if you think about it, you don't even need that because, you know, how they steer those things is with rudders. Well, you you can make rudders work by hand. I mean, you don't need hydraulics for rudders. I mean, that's what some of the early planes were, mm. right? They were run by cables. Right. Cables and manpower. You know, pull this lever, you'll go right. Pull that lever, you'll go left. Yeah. What, what, what are the odds that the only company that's known for flying a blimp is the Goodyear company that's an elite East Coast establishment family with a, a monopoly on tires? And, you know, of course, they leave that family with the only blimp that anyone knows or hears about. Right. Well, then you go, you know, we know that the Germans were into that. I mean, look at the whole Hindenburg thing. Right. 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 And, and I think that they used the Hindenburg disaster as a false flag to get people to say, well, those things are dangerous. We, you know, we tried, we tried those for a few years, but they're too dangerous. So let's, let's not do that anymore. Let's go to these planes now. Cause I think airships were around for a long time. Like you say, 1800s. I, I mean, when they invented just a hot air balloon, I mean, they already, they already put, they militarized that as soon as they could get those things manageable. Yeah. And you know, they would drop, they would drop bricks from them. Well, and, but consider, you know, when you talk about a place like, you know, Antarctica, which might have an entrance to hollow earth or something, this would be the perfect type of craft to navigate in a place like that. You know, you're not really beholden to the weather. It's about the same temperature. Probably it probably gets colder, but it's already really cold at those elevations anyway. So if you have, if you're already prepared for that, then it would make sense to have you know, establishments for those types of crafts in the North. Who knows? I mean, this could be why it's so secret. And, and, you know, you have all these remote places that are connected and you have this network of, of, of breakaway civilization. Right. Yeah. You know, we've all heard the stories of new Schwabenland, the section of Antarctica where the Nazis allegedly had under, you know, under, under ice bases, sorry. And uh, submarine setups, uh, you know, we hear the talk that Hitler went there. I don't believe that. I think Hitler went to Argentina. But, you know, I mean, a lot of top Nazis would go down there and they set up shop like way before the end of the war. You know, there was even, is, wasn't it even in Mary Shelley when she wrote Frankenstein? Wasn't there, wasn't there a part of where Frankenstein ended up in Antarctica? I have never heard that, but I wouldn't doubt yeah, it. I want to look that up. Look into that, but I thought it was just an odd thing for that story. But but say say all these Nazi bases were there, setting up shop. I I mean when you when you watch old videos of Admiral Byrd talking, I mean he keeps talking about the vast amounts of oil and all the natural resources that are on Antarctica, and and nobody's allowed to have it now. I mean, that was uh, Admiral Byrd was that was all like pre-Antarctic Treaty times. And why was Antarctica like one of the hugest continents, one of the seven continents, right on this Earth, that nobody's allowed to like go to? I mean, they let people go to some parts of it, yeah. But I mean, I mean, for the most part, 
Like that's like a no fly zone. They don't want you flying over Antarctica. And, and maybe that is because they don't want you to fly past Antarctica. And this is, and this is where, this is where the whole Admiral bird thing comes in. Now I'm not talking about his story, his alleged story from his alleged diary of when he actually flew into the hollow earth, which was described as the North pole, not the South pole. So, so if we're talking about, so if we're talking about the South pole, you know, other different thing, because Admiral Byrd in his diary said that how he flew into the hollow earth and the North pole, and then his ship was taken over. They took control of his ship and they brought him down. And these higher beings had a conversation with him about the use of our, us using atomic weapons and how that they warned our leaders to not use atomic weapons, but the, but the leaders didn't listen, right? Basically just to paraphrase and kind of give you the cliff note version of that whole deal. But Admiral Byrd, when he was in the South pole, he was being interviewed after, and he says, Oh, there's vast lands beyond the pole. And that comes into not like, like you don't even have to think of hollow earth or flat earth. I mean, because, you know, we talked about the thing that I call crater earth. I mean, I mean, it could be an ice wall. It could be an ice wall there that contains everything. I mean, it's totally plausible when you start like reading the history about it and learning about it. I mean, maybe there's like, like, things beyond that ice wall, beyond Antarctica. Antarctica is not what we're being told, that it isn't just one big continent, like that's at the bottom of our globe. And I'm not, you know, I don't want to get into flat earth territory, but crater earth, I'm willing, I'm willing to kind of think of that. Yeah, yeah. Where each divot, each divot in a golf ball is a separate realm. And then when you get past to the next divot, and so on and so forth for, you know, could be endless, could be infinite amount of divots. Yeah. I mean, their own worlds. Yeah. The size of, of the earth. I mean, how could we trust the measurements were given? I mean, whether the shape is correct or not is, is definitely not relevant when you talk about the scale. I mean, yeah. And if it is shaped like a golf ball, I could see how someone would be able to fly away from it and then take an image and maybe invert that image to make it look round, whereas it was sort of cup-shaped and, and a part of a much larger thing. But, yeah, fascinating stuff, Ron. I really feel like, you know, this conversation deserves a full two hours, this topic. We don't have that much time, I know. So we'll kind of leave it there if you want to give us a little insight on that book you're reading and maybe what folks can expect from the wicked planet podcast moving forward this episode will be out tomorrow so yeah i know you guys record your episodes on wednesday so tell them what uh, listeners can tune into tonight or or tomorrow when your your newest episode comes out well we we can just use this as a little teaser for a future show mark and we can get together and and do a whole show on Crater Earth, Hollow Earth, Flat Earth, Admiral Bird, New Schwabenland, Nazis, Nazi Bell. We could, I mean, we could suck up two hours like real quick. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because those are subjects that I'm big time into. You know, and the thing is, I don't, you know, and I don't know why yet, but we don't talk, we haven't talked about it really on, on the Wicked Planet. But let me give a couple of, now I don't have a lot of time to sit down and read books. But I listen to books, so I subscribe to Audible. 
which I know belongs to the evil Satan, that is Amazon. But let me give the listeners just a couple of suggestions. So in my Audible, I have, excuse me, I have I have all kinds of books in my Audible. And did you know that on Audible, there's actually a ton of free books? Like if you have an Audible account, you pay, you know, whatever the price is a month. And you have access to all kinds of like free books. Well, I mean, they're not free because you're paying for the service, but. But this one, this one in particular, it, I'm, I'm listening to one right now. It's, it's written by Michael Sala and anybody in our genre knows who Michael Sala is, right? Very, very intelligent dude who writes a lot about this kind of weird stuff, Antarctica, Hollow Earth, all that stuff. The title of that book is Antarctica's Hidden History. And, and, and you can just go on Audible or, you know, whatever, Kindle, whatever, and you can find that book. But one of the other books that, I'm, that, I, that I had listened to once before, and I'm going to listen to it again. And you hold on one second. got to scroll down because once you listen to it, it goes to the bottom of your file. But, it, but it's a book that talks a lot about, about Admiral Byrd. And, and I find it to be extremely fascinating. But it's called, hold on. It's called The Hollow Earth, The Greatest Geographical Discovery in History by Dr. Raymond Bernard. And it's just entitled The Hollow Earth, right? So, so that, they talk a lot about Admiral Byrd. They talk about his diary and the things that were said in his diary. But you can go on YouTube and just look up, I think the channel's called Periscope Films. And what it is, it's all the old newsreels from during the war and after the war. It's all black and white. It's old footage, obviously, but very informational videos if people want to kind of go check that out. Like, like if you know that Ron from New England and Mystic Mark are going to get together for a minimum of a two-hour show to talk about these really cool subjects, maybe what you can do is just do a little research and just, like, prep yourself up. Like when we used to go to a concert, I remember well, like we back in the day, we were gonna go see Van Halen, like back like David Lee Roth Van Halen. And the whole trip to Portland, Maine, we listened to Van Halen the whole way while we were, you know, ingesting substances <laughs> to enhance the show. Yeah. Yeah, right and on. I just priming you up, right? Getting primed. So I think, you know, I suggest some of the listeners if you want if you're excited about listening to the show, we're gonna do just get yourself primed up. Yeah, I agree. And I just found, I think I hope I found the right one. I don't know, periscopefilm.com. And then I found some stock footage. So yeah. And if anyone does do some preparation work, send it to us. I would love to to answer any questions that you might have around this subject to the best of my ability. And I'm sure Ron can answer many of those questions as well. So yeah, please folks. I mean, Ron and I are both pretty busy, but we'll probably schedule that for next month. So in the meantime, folks, please support the Wicked Planet podcast. You can find all their links on altmediaunited.com. Search Wicked Planet podcast in the same app that you listen to this podcast on. And yeah, please send us any research that you'd like us to discuss within this theme. Because yeah, Hollow Earth, Crater Earth, and... And everything about Antarctica's hidden history is what I'd love to get into. We've had one guest on who's been to Antarctica, Brad Olson, and he's written a little bit about Antarctica and its hidden history. But yeah, 
I'd love to compare that with, with what you found, Ron, and from here on out. So anything I left out as far as plugs and whatnot? Well, I think if anybody has any questions for me, just go on Instagram and follow me at Ron from New England. And uh, that's the, that's the main page I kind of hang out at. Now we do have a page for the show, the Wicked Planet podcast. You know, obviously come and give us a follow there, but if you've got any questions, feel free to DM me. I mean, I mean, it might take me a couple of days to get back to you because, you know, since April, the Wicked Planet just kind of freaking shot off like a rocket. So it's been kind of, it, it gets, well, I will say it's overwhelming because I enjoy all the interaction with the listeners like big time. Mm. And uh, like, for instance, tomorrow on the show, we're actually going to have a fan of the show come on for a short segment. He's an Iraqi war veteran, did a couple of tours over there. We're going to talk a little bit about that and talk about some of the current agendas, you know, as far as war goes and everything like that. And this guy was just a listener. You know, he had sent us a review and asked, if, you know, he said, hey, if it's impossible, I'd like to come on the show. And I'm like, you know, I told Buckley, I said, hey, I mean, that's a first. That sounds kind of interesting. Let's reach out, see if we can find out who this guy is. You know, because on Apple reviews, you know, they give you like a code name that don't give you a real name. And so anyways, so I said last week on the show, if you know, if you're listening, reach out and we'll get together. And he did. So we talked last night for about 45 minutes, you know, just to get a little information on, you know, on him and what we were going to talk about. So, uh, so he's going to be coming on tomorrow night. I think the listeners will really enjoy that. I'll be looking for that episode on Thursday. We record on a Wednesday, put the show out on a Thursday. And I just want to thank all the listeners, you know, that follow the Wicked Planet, listen to the Wicked Planet. You know, all the listeners that listen to Mark and my family thinks I'm crazy. I mean, our shows are, have been linked for quite a while and probably going to be for a long time. So, so yeah, so thanks for all the support for, for everybody for both shows. Right on. Yeah, agreed. Agreed in all all directions. Thank you, Ron. I appreciate you saying that. And yeah, I'm grateful for everybody who's tuning in to both of our respective shows. And I look forward to our next podcast as usual. Please folks support Ron on Patreon as well. You have set that up by now, right? I have not. You oh, have to force me to do that. <laughs> we'll sit down and do we that really before we do that. You know, I'm I'm happy we do have a fair amount of people that do donate through the Venmo. But I think a Patreon makes sense. I mean, for some episodes, yeah. you know, I just, I have such a hard time thinking I want to do ads on my show. I know I despise uh, ads. No, no, no. You don't have so, to do so ads. I, yeah, I want to keep it ad free. But yeah, you don't even have to. If people are willing to, you know, de- donate a little bit every month. Yeah, people will support you even if there's no original content on the Patreon. I mean, at, at least you put the episode out, you know, maybe on, uh, on, Wednesday night or Thursday morning and then you put it out Thursday afternoon for people on the free feed you know just to get give your patron something early but yeah no I I think it's about time by now so we'll have that real soon folks maybe not right away but by the time Ron and I do our next podcast together for sure follow him on Patreon support him and uh, yeah, look out for that new episode of the Wicked Planet podcast. And we got an episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast coming out the day after on Friday because it's the end of the month. Oh, I'm sorry. That's the first day of July. So yeah, we'll be putting that out on the first day of July. So this week you get an extra episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. And Ron, 
Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening, folks, and have a great moment wherever you are in the now. All right, and that's the episode today, folks. Ryder Lee, Ron from New England, both sharing their insights on this very controversial, very strange subject known as the Fourth Reich and everything alien. It seems the more we learn about ufology, the less we know, and it is a muddy, muddy place to be. Lots of disinformation, lots of agents with all sorts of coercive, manipulated manipulative information you never know who to trust so be careful out there listeners be careful podcasters and thank you for tuning in my family thinks some crazy podcast if you like what you hear support us on patreon we cannot do it without you we being me i'm the only guy working on this show from scheduling to recording to editing publishing and everything in between even the art i use some ai bullshit software to create the art for the podcast each episode has its own unique thumbnail and if you're an artist and you like listening to this show and you have your hands free while you're able to listen to this show consider maybe making some art for the show Uh, not only would you get a chance to be exposed your art exposed to the world give you a shout out but your art will exist for infinity in my rss feed and anyone who comes across the episode that you designed uh, episode artwork for will see that you are the one to make it. So, yeah, if that's your thing, if you're talented in that, send it over. I'd love to see what you got um, and help us beat the machine. Really, any submissions will beat the machine because if a human being makes it, then it's got to be good. So anyways, people, well, that's not always true. But anyways, people, here we are. What am I saying? talked a lot today i had isaac weissop on the show today i spoke with my friend al from norway i did an illuminati confirmed patreon episode that you can hear on illuminati confirmed patreon oh nope just kidding that doesn't exist it's going to be on the my family thinks i'm crazy patreon of course where you can find those episodes and more all sorts of bonus content on our patreon so please support there that is the best way help the show help me pay rent and keep me in the booth keep me in the podcast studio everybody reaches out and says how much they love the show and that's great and all but that doesn't help me survive folks so if you can even if it's just a one-time donation all the ways to support the show are listed in the episode description from my venmo my paypal my cash app all those ways if you want to send a one-time donation That would be really kind and appreciated. And I will certainly give you a shout out here in the intro like I have in the past for others who are kind enough to donate. And of course, if you sign up on the Patreon, you get a spirit animal name. You get included in our monthly meetups. Uh, We'll be doing one. Oh, man, probably Thursday, the end of the month. Why not? I mean... I don't remember. I think we did a live Illuminati confirm this month, either this month or last month. So I don't know. It's been a busy month. So far, I've done uh, the Patreon meetup every other month. So hopefully I can make that more consistent and do it every month. But it looks like we missed June. We'll try to do something this week. But like I said, I got to pay bills. I got a lot to do. Uh, I got to fix my car. I want to go down to Pennsylvania and see Mike. So I could use all the support I can get. So if you find value from this show, please send some value 
back my way and I will keep bringing you the best podcast I can make with the greatest guests I can find and the most interesting subjects I can think of. That's about it, folks. Thank you for being here and enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now. You probably heard me say that three times this episode, but that's just my style. Peace. Too much off of the tongue All my aunties and my uncles Shield the ears of the young I be singing shit And they don't know where it's coming from In like a hundred years We went saw a bomb from guns Check the facts Check the fed Check the stars Stanley Mines was murked For a water fuel cell car They each they own You could stick with your old ways But eat the rich You drink the motherfucking Kool-Aid And I can see the red On your lip stain White skin Blue collar Pure American made Fuck it You can keep your blood So heritage And run the soul Off the moon landed narrative my girl thinks that I'm embarrassing My folks think I'm nuts But never question the parenting Stuck in bed so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots but it's all kinda hazy The morning in the net feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pap thinks I'm un-American and shady I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily You could tell me that the president's an alien It wouldn't phase me My family thinks I'm crazy Think that I'm off in the deep end. Want too many Netflix docs on the weekends. But check the budget for a military defense. Tell me we ain't scared of something not within reason. Still beans, another 1492. And 9 11 was the red, white, and blue. And you be lit off the floor, and ain't got a clue. All your dreams just shit on a Rockefeller shoes. Don't believe a damn thing a politician ever said. Ain't one brick left to go up in the Fed. They still got bricks of cocaine to make crack. Oxy's killing the working class, FDA's whack. Talking like this, got kids talking behind backs. Too much to unpack, so they talk smack. And I'm just trying to converse with my clan, but it ain't fan. So I'm here setting up camp. Stuck in bed, so my boss thinks I'm lazy. Connecting dots, but it's all kind of hazy. I'm on the internet, feeling like I'm Dick Tracy. My pack thinks I'm on American and shady. Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately. Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily. You could tell me that the president's an alien, it wouldn't phase me. My family thinks I'm crazy. Anything out, so you know, maybe I.